Uh, I now have great pleasure inviting Jesse Tandler to present the platform today. Jesse is the Managing Director of the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition, a nationwide nonprofit that educates people on factory farming and its devastating impact on people, animals, and the planet, and empowers them to advocate for systemic change in their communities. He'll challenge us to imagine a just and sustainable food system and discuss personal as, as well as public policy choices that bring ethics, compassion, and ecological consciousness to the ways food gets from farm to table. Jesse, over to you. Hello. Thank you for inviting me here today. Um, we will begin with a, a video instead of a reading that's about a minute and a half. I uh, just want to give a small content warning. These are all standard practices that you will be seeing, but the images can still be upsetting. Uh, there will be nothing gory like slaughter. We won't be showing any of that today. Um, but I did want to let you know that that will be in here to prepare yourself. So for the next 20 or so minutes, I will be uh, just giving you a brief overview of what factory farming is, what the impacts are, and what we can do about it. Okay. So we will start with the basics. We will move on to the environmental impacts, the so social justice impacts, and what actions we can take. Okay. You see two images here, and I ask you to consider what is the difference. On the one hand, you see the advertisement from Crystal Creamery. This is what we are sold, right? Everyone probably saying Old McDonald's Farm when you were a kid. But we don't have Old McDonald's Farm anymore. What we have is what you see in this other image of a dairy. These are 
concentrated animal feeding operations, also known as CAFOs or factory farms. Okay. And if we ask what all these things have in common, all these situations with these animals, we notice that they're all packed together in these tight spaces. Okay. This is the practice of intensive confinement. This is the hallmark of factory farms. This is the practice of keeping tens of thousands, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of animals packed together in these tight spaces to create the most efficiency and the most profit for animal agriculture. You see here in the upper left-hand corner, um, a pig in a gestation crate, or actually this is a farrowing crate, but she will be kept in this crate for most of her life. So she will be artificially inseminated uh, and for the five months of her pregnancy will not be able to even turn around. This is standard practice, uh, although some companies have been pledging to not use gestation crates or farrowing crates anymore. This is still the majority. Once she has her piglets, she will be moved into this kind of crate you see here called a farrowing crate, where she will not really have any direct contact with her piglets. Uh, she will be on slats where her urine and, and feces will fall into a pool below her. Pigs are not only very intelligent animals, but they have a very strong sense of smell. So you can imagine what it must be like for her to not really be able to smell her piglets, but instead to just be smelling a pool of urine and feces under her. This will continue for about two and a half, three years. She will be artificially inseminated. She will nurse her piglets and then um, she will eventually be slaughtered. What you see next to the pig there are little huts for baby cows. These calves have been taken away from their mothers in the dairy industry, usually within the first 24 hours. So what happens in the dairy industry is you have female cows who are every 10 to 12 months artificially inseminated and when they give birth, their calves are taken from, from them. Now, this is necessary in order to produce the most milk. Um, otherwise, the calf, of course, will drink the milk. If that calf is a male, he will usually be auctioned off for meat, oftentimes into the veal industry. So the dairy industry actually feeds the veal industry. He'll be crated up for about 20 weeks, and then he'll be slaughtered. If the calf is a female, she'll suffer the same fate as her mother. She will be raised for a little while um, until she can be artificially inseminated, and <clears throat> her calves will be taken away from her. She'll be milked about three times a day, uh, pretty much to exhaustion. About 50% of, the, of these cows, by industry estimates, end up with mastitis, so an infection of 
the mammary tissue. And after about four years, she will be considered spent. So even though a cow can live 20 to 25 years, these uh, cows in the dairy industry only get to live four to five. Some people say that there's actually more suffering in a glass of milk than in a steak because these cows suffer for so much longer uh, and then are all slaughtered in the end. What you see in the lower left are chickens in battery cages. Uh, this is also standard practice. This used to be over 90%. Uh, it's now gotten down to about 75% of eggs coming from chickens in battery cages. These chickens will be de-beaked when they hatch. Um, as you saw in the, the video, usually they will go through a machine where their beaks are, the tips of their beaks are lasered off. The reason for this is they're kept in close quarters and will get very stressed out and start pecking each other. And if they still have the sharp parts of their beaks, they can peck each other to death. Uh, nevertheless, many of these chickens do die just by being stressed out in these conditions. These chickens will lay up, upwards of 300 eggs a year. The, chick, the original chicken in nature, like the gray jungle fowl, would lay about 10 to 15 eggs a year. So you can imagine the kind of tax this is on their bodies to be overproducing eggs, which means that even though they can live 8 to 10 years, uh, after 12 to 18 months of this, they will also be spent, and they will be slaughtered usually for pet food. What happens with the males? Because they don't produce eggs, and these are different than the broiler chickens that are bred to grow very big very fast. Well, the 250 to 300 million male chicks a year go through that macerator that you saw. They're just dumped into it alive uh, and conscious and shredded up. If they're not sent through the macerator, they are... Um, either suffocated to death or dumped into a big hole and left to die. You see um, turkeys here, but both turkeys and broiler chickens, which are the chickens that are bred for, for meat, are bred to grow incredibly fast. So <clears throat> a chicken back in the 1950s after about 68 days would be fully grown and would be a couple pounds. Now within six weeks, so about 43 to 48 days, that chicken is up to four times that size. Though 90% of them cannot walk normally, um, and about 5% of them will just die before they make it to the six weeks from the stress. Okay? Now, how many land animals are killed for meat, milk, and eggs each year in the United States? Uh, remember, this is just on land and just in the US and just in one year. Okay? 10 billion. To put this in perspective, 10 billion land animals a year, and again, this is not including the aquatic animals, um, which are billions and billions more, comes out to over 300 animals every single second of every single day or over 1 million animals per year, or per hour, sorry. 1 million animals per hour, every single hour of every single day. That's how you get to 10 billion. 90% of these are chickens, because as you can imagine, if you're eating chickens, how many chickens can someone eat in a year? They're small, you can eat quite a number of chickens. If you're trying to eat cows, 
most people cannot eat an entire cow in a year, right? So 90% of that 10 billion are chickens. Okay. And if we're wondering what percentage of animals in this country are raised on factory farms, that number is 99%. So in other industrialized countries, it's not that far off. So Canada, Germany, and Europe, these numbers are about 95%. But in the US, virtually every animal you see in a supermarket is going to have been through a factory farm. Okay. So now let's talk about the environment. Because as you can imagine, these 10 billion animals every year have a significant impact. Worldwide, this number is about 60 to 80 billion land animals a year. Uh, you had an extra 47, uh, or worldwide, the number for aquatic animals is between 1 and 2.7 trillion. We don't have better numbers than that because their lives have to be estimated based on tonnage rather than individuals. But this has a, an enormous environmental impact. This, in the history of humanity, there have not been that, that much over 10, or 100 billion human beings to ever walk the, the face of the earth. That means in a year and a half, there are more land animals slaughtered in the world than there have been people to ever live. Okay. So what makes factory farming one of the most destructive industries on the planet? Okay. Well, again, let's start with this idea of 10 billion animals every year in this country. And they all have to eat. Okay. So meat is basically a giant waste of food. Because as you can imagine, all of these 10 billion animals have to be fed. And uh, what are they fed? Well, they're mostly fed the corn and soy that is subsidized uh, through the farm bill. And if you feed a cow 100 calories, what is she going to do with that 100 calories? She's going to consume it. She's got to grow fur, teeth, hooves, eyes. She's got to keep her body warm. So by the time you slaughter her, and consume her, for every 100 calories you put in, you'll only get three calories out. So over 80% of the, the, the land that we use to grow food goes towards feeding these animals rather than towards feeding people. Uh, an estimate was done a couple of years ago where they found that if everyone in the U.S. were to eat entirely plant-based, we could feed an extra 400, almost 400 million people with the same amount of land that we use right now. So more than double the population. Okay. In order to uh, feed all of these animals, you have to grow the crops. Where do a lot of these crops come from? Well, many of them are from land that has been cleared, either you know, in the US or in places like 
the Amazon. So many of you probably heard about all the fires in the Amazon. Why are they burning down all of this? Well, the vast majority of it is actually being burned down to make space for cattle and feed crops like soy that go to feeding the cattle. Okay. And of course, all of these crops require lots and lots of water. So one hamburger takes about anywhere between, usually the calculation is about 660 gallons of water for one quarter pound hamburger, about 1,800 gallons of water for a pound of beef. This is the equivalent of about a month's worth of showers. So just that one quarter pound hamburger is like a month's worth of showers. Now I'm coming from LA where we have a mega drought and where almost 50% of the water goes towards animal agriculture. In comparison, about 5% of our water goes towards personal use, our showering, our drinking. So while about 80% of it is going to agriculture in general, about 50% of it is going specifically to animal agriculture. Okay? If we look at the impact of different kinds of milks, for example, you can see here cow's milk versus certain plant-based milks. You can see the carbon emissions, which we'll talk about in a minute, the land use, um, the water use, and a lot of people talk about the water, you know, how water-intensive almonds are. But even here, you can see that almonds are just a little more than half uh, as intensive in their water use as cow's milk. If you are concerned about sustainability, oat milk would be one of the most sustainable in terms of emissions and water use and land use. Okay. Then these 10 billion animals, they're eating and they are pooping. What happens with all of this waste? Let's take a look in the next slide. You're looking at a lake of toxic pig feces and urine, the size of four football fields. That's because thousands upon thousands of pigs are inside of these buildings. Their waste falls through slats in the concrete floor, and it's flushed directly into this giant open-air cesspool. How many of these kinds of factories are there? In North Carolina alone, there are over 2,000, and the consequences are disastrous. The waste falls through, through the floors. It's flushed out into an open pit like a cesspool, it's easy for a big hog operation to have as much waste as a medium-sized city. Of course, the pit will fill up, so it has to be uh, emptied, and they're emptied by spraying the liquid waste. If you're familiar with a garden sprayer, there are gigantic versions of that, so they're making droplets, fine mist out of this liquid waste, and that and drift downwind into the neighboring communities. This is where they spray animal waste on us. This is about eight feet from my mother's house. What is it like when the mist is? It's like, you think it's raining? 
Really? You, th you think it's raining? We don't open the doors of, of the windows, but the odor still comes in. It takes your breath away. This is not a partisan issue. We are all opposed. So not only does this end up on the people around there, but it ends up in the water. When you hear about spinach or romaine lettuce being contaminated with E. coli, this is where it's coming from. It also contaminates people's water supplies, um, uh, including with nitrates, which we know are carcinogenic. Okay, so animal agriculture is also one of the main drivers of climate change. Animal agriculture emits about the same amount of greenhouse gases as all of the transportation in the world combined. So this is the global number, it's about 15.4% of carbon emissions are coming from animal agriculture. Uh, and one reason for this is that cows burp and um, outgas a lot of methane, which is about 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. If cows were their own nation, they'd be the third largest producer of greenhouse gases in the world after China and the U.S. Okay. So here you can see, you know, if you were to eat soybeans or other beans um, or nuts instead of beef, the uh, greenhouse gas emissions are, are minuscule in comparison. This is the same with cheese and even, even poultry and eggs. Okay, so let's talk about some of the social justice impacts here, okay? Uh, the leading causes of death in the US in 2019 were heart disease and cancer. You see stroke and diabetes are, are up there as well. And we know that uh, eating Eating animal products contributes to cancer risk as well as heart disease significantly, okay? And uh, there are also the workers who are often forgotten in this. These are usually people who do not have a choice. Most, most everyone here, I assume, would not want to work slaughtering hundreds or thousands of animals every day. Uh, not only is this, okay, uh, physically dangerous, on average there are two accidental amputations every week in chicken slaughterhouses in the US, but it is also, okay, emotionally traumatic. You can read this quote by a Tyson Slaughterhouse worker, but many of these workers do not last more than a year. They end up with PTSD, just like veterans coming back from war. There are higher rates of substance abuse and domestic violence in these communities. Okay, there's also forced labor. Uh, not necessarily in this country so much, but in Southeast Asia, there uh, is actual slavery. Um, much of the shrimp that comes to the U.S. is actually coming from Southeast Asia, from these um, forced labor ships. Okay. There are actions we can take, though. There are ways to solve this. We do not need to be consuming products from factory farms. Uh, if you look at Project Drawdown, Paul Hawkins' project, he's a famous climate scientist, you see that you know, food is, it, here it's one in three. Uh, Plant-rich diets actually got moved up to number two. So this is, on a daily basis, the single biggest thing you can do to mitigate climate change and to reduce your impact, okay? Here you see the United Nations 
um, making the point that first world citizens must half their meat consumption. And here's a study out of Oxford saying that in order to keep climate change under two degrees, US citizens need to eat 90% less beef and pork, 60% less milk and poultry, and 50% less eggs while eating four to six times more beans and pulses. Okay. Fortunately, we're seeing uh, both personal action and even corporate action on this. You find plant-based options now at all of these fast food restaurants even that we didn't before. Okay. We're seeing all of these alternative products. Just curious how many people have had a Beyond Burger or Impossible Burger. Okay, great. So a lot of people are recognizing that there are these alternatives for, for people that do not want to participate in the system but still want those same kind of tastes and textures. Okay. And a lot of times there are meals that we normally eat that we don't even necessarily think of as being plant-based but are famous peanut butter and jelly sandwich. For, for example, many cuisines naturally have lots of plant-based options. It's just in the standard American diet, we don't have a lot. Okay. So there are the personal choices you can make, of course, and you can vote with your wallet for what kind of world you want. Um, uh, there are ways that we can try to mitigate this on a uh, in legislation. So uh, for example, in California, Prop 12 was passed in Massachusetts, question three, that allows the animals a little more space that makes uh, that eliminates battery cages and gestation crates, and then also makes it uh, illegal to import those products into the state. This has actually now gone to the Supreme Court to see if this can hold up. But people clearly wanted about 67% of Californians voted for this. And of course, there are there's corporate pressure. Um, many of these companies have pledged to go cage-free or gestation crate-free because of people demanding it. Okay. So if you are interested in more information, you feel free to reach out and contact me. You can also check out our website at ffacoalition.org. We have resources there. Um, I hope this was informative. I know it's very brief. There's a lot more. This is normally an, an hour-long presentation. Even that just barely touches upon what's going on here. But I'm happy to, to speak to anyone afterwards as well. So thank you all very much. Thank you, Jesse. That was fabulous. Lots to think about. Um, okay, so after some music, uh, we will we'll have community sharing time, and you can write in the chat uh, or speak into the microphone uh, if you're here, present in the room, uh, about what resonated with you in this platform. Uh, in this time in between, you might prepare for community sharing by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that illustrates the values that we're lifting up today. As we contemplate, rest, and reflect on the platform, let's experience the beauty of the musical response. <laughs> <laughs>